Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 18, Grack and the Freeholders move to a Volrein. 10 Mergendorf days, almost 16 Earth days, had passed on the grassy plains. The plains extended to the horizon in every direction. Brady at this point was extremely leery of the whimsical Gruckens. The Trevadors were becoming slow and the food supplies getting precariously low. It had grown colder and time seemed to pass monotonously. In the distant sky ahead, gray, dark clouds first became visible as a thin line. Slowly the clouds grew more ominous, and the land underneath seemed to be changing also. Directly at the edge of the clouds, the land shot upward in a massive gray butte, outlined by endless dark crevices and extending to the horizon in both directions. Are we going up there? Brady asked the Grucken as the temperature kept dropping. In there? In there? Asked the Grucken with a tinge of fear in his voice. I should say no. If I knew it, I knew. Grucken, we do not need to listen to your riddles, said Antovian from his trevador. Are we or are we not going between the ledges? Between the ledges? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, the trevadors for a while, for a while. Then this is the way to Valrain, asked Brady, looking for the dwarfs, but the army was not visible. Treeform and Sheesh had kept them in advance. To Valrain, yes, to Valrain, answered the Grucken. Now the air became quite chilly, and both Brady and Antovian had adorned outer fur-lined coats. Over their heads, the bright aqua sky was vanishing, giving way to luminous gray clouds, threatening like a summer thunderstorm. Although the clouds moved rapidly, they seemed to be recycled inward never getting past the buttes. Brady looked up at the towering buttes, stark, igneous formations with no sign of life. Small scrub brushes, however, survived the long black grandula trail along the crevices between the buttes. He could not help but think, as the wind gusted, that this was not the right course of action. They were surrounded by rock on both sides now, and the bright light of the plains lay peacefully behind them. As the trevadors followed the trail to the right, plane soon vanished into the cool darkness. The trail moved deeper and deeper into what the Gruckens called the broken land. It was darker along the constricted trail and the resulting cooler temperatures prompted additional layers of clothing. They were rising in altitude at this point and the smoother buttes next to the plains had reverted into treacherous, jagged peaks. The trail soon became unmanageable for the Trevadors. Brady and Antobian dismounted from the beast and looked down the thousands of feet into the crevice, and then up at the floating Grucken. What now, Grucken? asked Antobian. What now? What now? We wait, we wait. The Gavador will arrive. Gavador? shouted Brady as the wind whipped against his Dorfian face. Like that thing we saw in the field on the first day. Yes, replied Antobian, his face tightened from the cold. We will make it to Valrain, my friend. Brady nodded, half believing him, but folded his arms under his armpits to stay warm. Until that gavator comes, Grucken, said Antobian, I would suggest a fire. A fire, a fire, there can be no fire, he said as there was now a touch of snow in the air. No fire, shouted Antobian, you listen to me, Grucken, we don't need your tricks. You give us food and a fire. And a fire, asked the scared Grucken. It is out of the domain, the domain is where the darkness comes. The broken land is so dark, so dark. No power against the dreaded forces from Volrain. We will perish. Get hold of yourself, Grucken, cried Antobian. 
hold of myself, hold of myself, asked the Gruckin almost hysterically as it clung to Antovian. I am told to bring you there, but how can I go forward with the powers that have gone? To fall rain, but I grow fearful, fearful. The sky is devouring and I grow cold, cold. Suddenly the Gruckin let go of Antovian and floated into the air. The powers, the powers of the all-powerful. I am fearful, I am fearful. It whined as it shot off into the dark and back toward the plains. Gruckin, cried Antovian into the wind. Gruckin! But the Gruckin, only a small blister of light, faded into the blackness from where they had come. He's gone, yelled Brady over the howl of the wind. Now what the hell do we do? We must wait, or we could freeze to death up here, suggested Brady. Look at the trail, my friend, skirting the peaks. Scarcely enough room for our own feet. Damn Gruckin, cursed Brady as he continued to jump up and down. Not so brave without their domain powers. They curled up next to the Trevidors in order to block the wind. The hours dragged on, and slowly their blue hair and eyebrows became white with the beaten snow. Their limbs and exposed skin were numb from the windchill of this isolated area in the northern limits of the planet. Brady estimated a total of four hours had passed when they saw the Gavador approaching in the skies to the west. Brady had been frightened by the large creature in the field weeks before. Now in the icy cold, the red dinosaur-skinned creature with the wide butterfly wings was a welcome sight. It circled several times, slowly floating backward against the side of the cliff, holding on with its claw appendages. Along its backside were several pouches carved out like baskets of a hot air balloon, and they slid into one of the deep pouches. When they stood, the top of the pouch was at their chest. The Gavador seemed to sense that they were safely inside, and it began to rumble its giant wings. The frightened Trevador scampered down the hill and back toward the plains. With a push like a swimmer springing off the side of the pool, the Gavador gracefully soared into the air. Its ribcage expanded and contracted as it rose high into the air near the bottom of the cloud cover. Below, an isolated stretch of inhospitable rock peaks reached into a lonely span back to the horizons. The snow constantly became heavier at this high altitude and they burrowed into the pouch. How does this thing know where to go? Asked Brady. We could virtually end up anywhere. No, Gavadors are trainable. I would assume that this one knows where to go, said Antovian. Sure, sure, to me, fall rain looks very uncertain, Antovian, very uncertain. The Gavador flew through the icy blast for over eight hours. Antovian, once the snow had begun to subside, stood up and surveyed the terrain for the Dorfian freeholders. However, there were no roads, just an array of treacherous mountain passes, snow-covered ledges in an uncertain direction. He ducked into the pouch and shook his head in despair. What do you see, Antovian? asked Brady. I see that Ball Rain cannot be reached by land. No dwarf could survive that land down there. The distance is too great for half a million dwarfs to be moving toward Ball Rain. The Renegan has the computer processor. He can check the terrain. Yes, that is true. But we cannot attack, not over this land. We have failed, my friend. There will be no freedom now. Ball rain and all its rigidity will, will forever continue. 
Brady could have encouraged him, but he saw no reason to do so. His hopes had also been squelched. He only wished they could arrive at Valrain and get it over with once and for all. Gavador's wings changed their configuration, spreading outward in a glide through the icy air. Both Brady and Antobian stood and leaned over the pouch. The suns were not visible now, but the day must have been waning as the light was dimming. In the remote darkness, yellow lights beckoned from a far cliff. The Gavador began its descent, flying below and around the darkened mountains. Close to a mile away was a very high peak, perhaps thousands of feet above the rest of the terrain. Built into the peak was a heavy assortment of spiraling rock, forming a gray, bulky appearance. As they came in closer, the yellow lights became distinct open windows, and the stone balconies could be seen surrounding the structure's base. Brady looked into the darkness under the balconies and was convinced for sure the Dorfian armies, despite their numbers, had absolutely no chance of getting to this isolated fortress. Just a wild guess, Antovian. I think we've arrived at Valrain. Quite so, my friend, quite so, said the despondent Dorf. The Gavadors circled the structure several times above groups of dwarfs dressed in long black coats. The Gavador came close to a cluster of them, stretching out its legs as it slowly glided onto the balcony and grasped its edge securely. There's a happy bunch, remarked Brady as he looked at the expressionless dwarfs, all with black fluton rifles. The large wooden door to the inside opened and a dwarf, dressed in a one-piece lavender suit, came forward. I am Halfrin. You will step off the Gavador, Mr. Brady and Dorfantovian. Oh, uh, my name is Sibon, and this is Gazlu, said Brady as his heart pounded. We know who you are, said Halfrin as he motioned the guards over to them. They pulled Brady and Antovian from the pouch and shoved them onto the stone balcony. You have us confused, friend, said Brady, hoping desperately the dwarf would change his assessment. You are an alien from the planet Norlon, and your comrade is a traitor to Valrain. Antovian looked sadder than he had ever been. No use in lying, Brady. We must face the end now. Let us die with dignity. Brady did not reply. Guards pushed him through the doorway and Halfrin followed them inside. He was in charge of whether they lived or died. Brady slept for a very long time after he was imprisoned inside a rock-lined windowless chamber lighted by several torches. He sat up in the bed, feeling lighter as he caught sight of his human hands. He wandered over to a murky mirror and smiled broadly. He was human again. They must have tapped into his mind, he thought, as he was dressed in his light blue suit and hat. But that hat was on Earth, so he must have duplicated it. And the normally wrinkled and stained suit was clean and pressed. He gazed into the mirror to the features he had almost forgotten, his wavy brown hair, his gray human eyes. He bared his teeth. They were all there, even the crown on his back tooth. Before he could rejoice too much, the large wooden door opened and two of the guards rushed inside. I'm human, he yelled, but they did not understand what he was saying. Sevinak Bakchow, sneered the guards as they tied a heavy rope around his wrist and pushed him into the hallway. Bikting, Bikting, shouted another guard in the corridor as they led him away. The corridor, its stone blocks reaching high into the dank air, 
wound into the fortress, lighted by closely spaced torches. They led him past the hallway, into the balcony exit, into an area bordering a spacious hall. There were hundreds of guards inside, and Brady could sense that his moment with the elders must be drawing near. However, somehow he thought they might be reasonable and move to save Earth. Guards pushed him forward and he stumbled into the room. Multicolored banners of intricate design hung along the ancient walls. The guards lined both sides of a black carpet which ran along the floor to a triangular-shaped table some fifty yards away. He walked with the solemn guards and he still did not know how he would deal with the elders. As he neared the table, however, he could see the dwarf Halfrin. The elders were not there. Where is Antobian? asked Brady as he reached the edge of the table. Halfrin stood next to a pyramid screen mounted on the table. The dwarf handed him a small translator box. Jemtikhwata stumped him, said Halfrin as Brady took the box. Where is my friend? he repeated. Antobian is in a cell like yours and is waiting for a eventual hearing with the elders. You lured us here, I knew it. The whole journey was a trick of some kind. You are quite astute your observations, Mr. Brady. We know that the freeholder forces have followed your route very closely. We've known all along of your capture from Earth and your strong desire to halt the destruction of your planet Norlon. The elders of Bahrain were your only hope, and the freeholders with their Renegade allies wanted to determine the exact location of Bahrain. Well, they'll find it eventually. I admit the terrain is a first, Mr. Brady. They will never even remotely come near this place. For this place is not Bahrain. Not Bahrain? He asked the translator. I'll get no hearing? Oh, you have been granted a hearing. The elders have never heard an alien argue for its own planet. There is a Bahrain, but it is not here. I don't understand. You will said Halfrin as he sat next to the screen. Is your human body the way you remembered it? It is, he said as he thought. Halfrin, you said the forces would not reach this place. These guards are formidable, but the freeholders number in the hundreds of thousands. Halfrin switched on the three screens. Bring Mr. Brady a chair, he said. The screens filled with an expansive view of the E.R. plane, as seen from the buttes under the dark clouds. The freeholders, now numbering in the hundreds of thousands, were an astonishing sight as they covered the entire plane. They were sectioned into three groups and further subdivided into divisions. Each of these groups carried banners from their portion of the planet, all brandishing their primitive weapons. What's going on? asked Brady. How is your Brady grew impatient with Halfrin. What kind of a people are you anyways? People of laws, answered the dwarf. And they are threatening to crack the foundation of those laws. It will never happen. However, the survival of the laws and the defense thereof is paramount to anyone who gets in the way. Little excessive growled Brady as they brought him the chair. But he chose to stand in spite, leaning to the right of the table as he watched the screen intensely. Then he looked up at Halfrin. You can't do this. These people want peace, freedom of choice. Freedom of choice? 
you are crazy, said Brady slowly and very loudly. You're all crazy, he said as he seemed to snap, grabbing Halfron's throat. The guards descended upon Brady and pulled him back. It is the law of Maureen, the law which you despise, which is keeping you alive for this moment. Brady spit on the floor in front of the table, his human teeth bared. You and your law, he yelled. You don't know the first thing about life. Silence. No, you fundamentalist, unyield. I said silence. Gag him until this is over. The guards tied a fabric around Brady's mouth and sat him down in the chair, pointing their fluton rifles at his head. Helpless, he had no choice but to sit and watch the armies coming closer to Halfren's web. The freeholders seemed exuberant as they marched, and he could hear the faint sounds of singing. On the field, in the rear of the armies, a council had been called. The Renegan, Treeform, and 15 leaders from the subgroups were listening to scouts who had penetrated the broken land. Grok and his dwarfs sat about 20 feet away. The massive armies just ahead over the small ripple had been ordered to march to the edge of the buttes. The leaders would then plan the next course of action into the broken land. You are within ten miles of the broken land, said Trefoam to the scout, and you find no sign of Brady or Antovian. We have followed the trail, but we have found nothing. No readings of life, said Sheesh. And what is the extent of the computer? asked Trefoam. Unknown, said Sheesh. Trefoam turned to the scouts. And you have found no sign of all rain. No sign. I suggest we send scouts deeper into the broken land. Even if we have to wait here for days, we will be sure what we have to face. I agree, said Trefoam. Ten dwarfs will go. The armies will camp along the buttes. Sheesh looked down at the army's positions on his computer. They had reached the edge of the broken land. There will be a problem with supplies, said the Renegan. We must locate another source. He added as a sensor on Grok's second-in-command's computer began flashing and emitting a modulating tone. Grok sprung to his feet and ran forward to the dwarf who had commandeered their flutons in the computer. That sensor is activating, he shouted. What does this mean? asked Treeform as he stood and walked over to Grok. An atmospheric disturbance, said Grok as he looked down at the screen. In an area directly in front of those buttes. It could mean a number of things, said the Renegan as he looked at his own computer. I find nothing. What is your opinion, Commander? The high-pitched signal changed and Grok studied the figures on the screen. Get those dwarfs out of there right now, he said quickly. Why? asked the befuddled Treeform. An attack is imminent. Get them out of there, repeated Grok. <laughs> An attack? laughed Treeform. I, I see no other forces. No, Treeform, said Sheesh. The commander speaks the truth. It may be some kind of energy. Your scouts run the distance, bring those armies back to this point. Orderly, no explanation. They are only to withdraw. Explain asked Treeform as the scouts ran forward. Before Sheesh could answer, the signal changed once again. It is intensifying, 
cried Paris, who had come up from the rear. Unbelievable energy within the buttes. I only hope they have time, said Grok as he looked forward to the top of the knoll. On both computer screens, the scouts were running at full speed, and every one of the scouts froze in their steps, screaming as sharp blue streaks appeared in the air. Their bodies glowed a bright red, and only the outlines were visible. The blue streaks descended upon them, cutting through their bodies and vaporizing them in a matter of seconds. Treeform, only seconds before had doubted the commander's words, stood, unable to move. They have tricked you all, shouted Grok. Fools! Now all these dwarfs will die! He had ambled over to the edge of the blue streaks. Renegan seemed baffled, probably wondering why he had not acted in a different manner. The energy closed in on the army and produced a fleeing mass of confusion. Dwarfs were trampled and others ran into knives of death from the blue streaks. One by one, half a million dwarfs, intelligent beings, were frozen and sliced from existence. In less than a few minutes, the planes leading to the buttes were now lifeless. Give me that, said Brock as he took the computer from the dwarf. The field has reached a maximum extension and still in place, he told the renegade. Asked Sheesh. The entire area has been saturated, but it's at its limit, said Grok as he looked ahead. Sheesh, you better send somebody down there to get tree foam before he becomes another casualty. Austin, get your leader tree foam back here. Paris, said Grok, is it possible to disrupt that field, say, some type of corridor? I do not know, Commander. I can begin a simulated study with a computer. Do it said Grok as he turned to the Renegan. We will need all our flutons. What are you saying, Commander? Asked Sheesh. I'm saying, if we can disrupt that field, we can get to Volrain. You, a perimeter commander, fighting against the Elders? I've already incurred the death penalty, Sheesh. I am fighting for myself, he said as Treeform walked bewilderedly back into the council. And I believe in your cause, added Grok. Gratified, Commander, that you overestimate your abilities. Even with your plutons, you cannot compete with something like the blue streaks. He said as he pointed to the blue streaks. They just killed one half a million dwarfs. No, I will not compete, but I will pierce that field. And we have, said Grok smiling, 18 dwarfs and a renegade. Sheesh turned to Treeform as he approached. We are going to attempt a piercing of the field. The dwarf leader seemed muddled in his thinking, confused, and choked as he spoke to them. You want to lead the rest of us into that death field? No! My second-in-command is working on the problem now. The Renegade will confirm this. Yes, it is possible. The field exists only to the edge of the butte. And how do we face them? Even if we get through, asked Treeform, we are only a handful of dwarfs. You were ready to face them before argued Grok. Where are your great ideals now that your force has been eliminated? Do you not care for the same things? Why do you talk of such ideals? You, a dwarf of the perimeter. I will tell you as I told the Renegan. I and my dwarfs might as well be dead for what we have done. Our only hope lies with your hope. Paris came over to them, alternating glances at the computer screen. Commander, we will need our weapons to penetrate the field. And can your weapons match the power of the elders of Volrain? asked Treeform. The power. 
Yes, we have the power. If you believe in anything about your so-called freedom, you will lead the rest of your doors and join me. Freeform remained pensive. He looked across the blue streaked plain. The energy was so dense now that the buttes were not visible. He turned back to his remaining dwarfs. Give the commander his weapons, ordered the leader. The dwarf brought the flutons to Brock and Trefon looked at the commander. The fight goes on, commander. Perhaps foolhardily, but the cause will never die. Brock, a dwarf from the perimeter, raised his arm and placed it on the shoulder of the planetary dwarf. Trefon, aware of the significance, did the same. In a way, both separate societies, after eons apart, had somehow joined in the struggle against the authority centered in Valrain. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theatre of the Words.